welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Good morning, church. Thanks. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling extra thin today. So, see, I told myself I wouldn't make jokes about how big I am, but here I am. So, you might be wondering what I'm doing up here today. Usually, me and Julie are often behind the scenes doing things, organizing and coordinating, but here we are. Now, you might be thinking, is it because Pastor Paul had eye surgery this week, and he was blind for majority of the week. Or because Bobby is out of the country on a missions trip. Or because Daniel just preached. No, be reassured, we are not the fourth stringers. We have a message today, and just like in the story of Deborah and JL, God used them. They were unexpected, but he used them to deliver God's message. In first service, um, there was a prophetic word given, and it match so similarly to the message. So that's why I'm extra excited because I know this is from God today. So uh, first, we're going to go ahead and go to Judges 4, and we'll read 4 through 10. Perfect. I love the TV back there. All right, so now Deborah, a prophet and the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She had court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinom, from Kadesh and Nephtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Nephtali and Zebulun, and lead them to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. Deborah said, certainly I will go with you. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There, Barak summoned Zebulun and Nephtali and 10,000 men and went up under his command. And Deborah also went with him. Now, this is a really great story. I've really enjoyed studying it this week, and I hope you enjoy it, too. We learn a lot about the characters and this really cool plot. Um, So to give us some more historical context, you might want to get out your notebooks and your pens because we brought in some local historians to give us some more background. It gets pretty deep, um, so just, just brace yourself. But we have three videos in total between the speakers, and this will be the first one. Hey, do y'all want to hear a story about Deborah? Me! Oh, yeah. So the story starts in Judges 4, where there's a lady named Deborah. She was a nice lady. But the Israelites were in big trouble and, and forgot to listen to God. God needed to tell them, because um, they were being silly, that he loved them and that he was in control. And Sisera was a really bad dude that bullied the people of Israel. And he had over 900 chariots. And God then called a 
Deborah to help the people of Israel win the battle. So Deborah put on her cape and yelled, Barak! Barak! And Barak ran a long way to Deborah and, yelled and said, What do you need? So Deborah told him, Barak, God wants you to get an army of loads of people to fight to, to fight Sisera and win the battle. Barak was like, Okay, but can you come with me? Because because he was very scared. So Deborah said, Okay, but a woman will help defeat the but a hope a woman will end the battle and you'll be safe. Good. Give it up for our actors and our voice actors. <laughs> now, in case you didn't get all the details there, um, some things, Deborah actually didn't have a cape. I know, surprising. But I'll give you a little more details about the book of Judges. Um, the book of Judges is a historical link between the time of when the Israelites took possession of the promised land and the time of Israel's kings. The book of Judges is named after individuals that the Holy Spirit empowered to deliver the Israelites each time they rebelled against God. These judges would serve either as um, military leaders, and they also ruled in civil disputes as well. In this book, or in the book of Judges, we see six, six different cycles of the Israelites going through rebellion, and then God allowing foreign oppressors to come in. And then they cry out to God. And then God delivers them through one of the judges. So it's kind of on repeat. I don't know. I guess they're human too, like us. They keep, they keep messing up. It's fine. And so as we go on here, um, we meet the oppressor in chapter 4, and that is King Jabin. And then he introduces us to the really bad dude, which is Sisera. He is the commander of the army of Jabin, which is the opposing army. And then we meet Deborah. She is our judge and our hero, we think, for most of the story. So Deborah, she was a woman of great influence. She was not only a judge, but she was also a prophet. Her words carried so much weight among the people of Israel. When she talked, they listened. And they listened because her life was so closely aligned with God. She didn't get into this role by chance. She walked with him daily and knew him intimately. In verse 4, we find her sitting underneath a palm tree where the Israelites are coming up to her for judgment. And then in her role as a prophet, she's also a spokesperson for God. And now first we have to hesitate there and stop and think about a woman in this role in the Old Testament as a prophet and judge. That's a big deal. Just think right now in the last hundred years, the milestones and the challenges and progress women have made for equality and obedient leadership roles. Now think to the New Testament, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the fish and the bread. In that 5,000, the women were not included, but they were there. So this is even more so the case in the Old Testament. She served God, and she did not take advantage of the role that she was given. She didn't let it get it to her head. She didn't become power-hungry and manipulative. She honored God and was obedient every step of the way. And that's what we're going to see through this passage. In verse 6, she says, under, she's under her palm tree, right? I think in the video they said it was ocean or beach. Maybe that was in take one or take two. But so she's under her palm tree, and she sends for Barak to come see her. Because God has a word that she wants, that wants to give to him. So he goes to her without hesitation. And that shows how much weight was in her words. When she said, I have a word from God, 
people listened. So he came to her on foot, 17 miles. As you heard from Bob on the video say, what do you need, is what he said. And she said to him, get the army, and you're going to go, and you're going to go against Sisera. And I know he has a lot of chariots and a lot better machinery than we do, and a lot more men, and one more wheelchair than you do, but God is going to give you victory in this battle. It's going to be through your hands, and you, Barak, are going to get the glory. Wow, can you imagine being told that? But what was his response? This was just so interesting to me. It catches you off guard because he says to Deborah, okay, uh, that's fine, I'll go, but I'm only going to go if you go with me. You know, ooh. And so that, that's kind of a shocking response. And did he do that because he lacks in faith possibly? Or did he do that because as a prophet, she had God's presence with her. And so if she was with him in the battle, that meant God was with him. We don't know for sure, but we do know what Deborah's response was. Without hesitation, without shaming him or casting judgment on his doubt, she said, okay, I will go with you. She response was, she was direct, she was kind, but she still spoke on God's truth and was obedient to his commands, which she heard God say to her, and then she told him, okay, if I go, that's fine, but the glory is no longer going to be yours. It's going to go into the hands of a woman. So she went with him. There again, we see Deborah being obedient every single step of the way. There are two main characteristics we see throughout this entire passage. She is a woman of wisdom and of influence. She had so much influence in her culture. We don't know how she got there exactly. She obviously didn't wake up one day and find herself in this role. But we do know that she had lived a life rooted in prayer because it's through prayer that you begin to recognize God's voice so she could deliver his messages. It's through prayer that she was able to know what God's will is. Because without prayer and knowing God and being in his presence, how do we know his will? We must know God to know his will. She was also a woman of wisdom. People came to her with civil disputes, and she brought clarity to the chaos. When people were stuck on issues, she brought solutions that no one else thought of. And she grabbed that wisdom from God because she listened to him and she walked with him. And it was an intimate relationship that was authentic and it was real. It was not a Sunday and Wednesday thing. And we can do that too. We can have a prayer life so we can know God and know his will and be obedient to him because we even more so have his word to lean on. Thank you, KB. (laughs) And the application today is, how do we know, like, how do we get these characteristics that Deborah had? How do we become a woman of influence, a leader of influence, so we can touch our world for Jesus, so we can show them God's love? How can we have wisdom so that we can make good decisions that honor God? It's by knowing him, studying God's word, being with him in prayer, and knowing him. This reminds me of, I don't know if anyone's ever been on a diet. I won't make fun of my body again. But sometimes there's a lot of diets marketed to us, right? There's um, a rapper girl. I won't say her name in case you guys know who Cardi B is. But she, got, she just had a baby. And then she got this liposuction on her abs done. She has a six-pack. She just had a baby. 
There's other diets out there that are give immediate results, like you eat cabbage for two weeks straight. Like, that's awful, but I guess it works. And there's different pills and vitamins you can take to give you immediate results. But those aren't lifetime changes, right? They can't help you five years from now. Cardi B is not going to have that six-pack in five years. It's going to go away. But that's just like following Jesus, right? We want immediate results without taking the work sometimes to get there. It takes sacrifice. It takes time away from our day. We have to set time aside to know God. You can't just wake up and live our life and expect the will of God to be known to you without knowing him. In our seven and a half years of ministry here at Grace, it's been a great seven and a half years. Um, and we're excited for what else God has for us. But the question we get the most from teenagers is, what do I do with my life? Where do I go to college? What's my career going to be? What's next? And those are all really great questions. They're looking for to be in God's will. They, want, they desire that. That's an awesome place to be in. But we ask them first, well, what is God telling you? What does his word say? What is he saying to you in prayer? Because those take time. We want immediate results, but we have to remember the steps it takes to get us there. Abby Dean's going to bring the second part of the message, and she's going to give you a really cool description and history behind um, the battle scene that takes place. So we have another video from our historians. Barack said, Okay, let's do this. And he grabbed his men and went to battle. Deborah could have been scared, but she knew God was with her. She said, what are you waiting for? Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory. God is marching with you. The soldiers went forward and yelled, charge, and defeated Sisera's chariot army with God's help. They got each guy, and no one was left except Cicera. He, he survived and flew for his life. Barak saw him flying and flew after him, screaming, Get back here now! Then all the Israelites started rapping. Thank, thank, thank the Lord. Thank, thank the Lord for your very nice game. It's okay, guys. No wheelchairs or actors were hurt in the making of this film. <laughs> so I don't know if the battle went quite like that, but in Judges 4, verse 11, it states, Now Hibber the Kenite left the other Kenites, the descendants of Moab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched a tent near the great tree in Zananaim near Kadesh. Now, even in this passage, first passage, it feels like Bible just threw a whole bunch of big names at you. And... If you don't know geography or historical names or historical references, it can be a little confusing. These, the, <laughs> these verses are so easy to pass because we just assume that they're too hard to understand, skipping over them and missing out on some crucial points. This verse, after dissecting it and looking over it many, many times, sets up God's entire purpose for this war by giving the reader some pivotal background information. So let's dissect it together. The Bible introduced the man Hibber. Now, Hibber is an important character that comes later in the story. So this is kind of like a foreshadowing, if you will. He was a Kenite. And if you don't know what Kenites were, they're of the descendants of uh, Moab. Sorry. They're of the descendants of Jethro, Moses' brother-in-law. Sorry. 
Moses' father-in-law, and therefore grafted into Israel. Hibber was also a well-known Jabin supporter. And as Amber mentioned earlier, Jabin was a king who suppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So we can safely assume that the Israelites did not like Hibber that much. So he took his wife, Jael, and moved to a place near Kadesh. Verses 12 through 13 states, When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth by Goam to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with armor. Iron. Here we see where Hibber's loyalties lie. After moving away from his clan, Hibber then goes ahead and betrays Barak's battle plans to Sisera, that the Israelite army was moving towards Mount Tabor. In response to this news, Sisera wastes no time putting together a massive army of 900 chariots plus men on foot. The, Bible, the reason the Bible goes into so much detail about the specific type of chariot and how many there were was because it was a new technology at that time. So Sisera not only had the Israelite battle plans, but he also had new technology that was more advanced than the Israelites. So I'm sure when this news got back to Barak, it took him through a whole list of emotions, from being upset to anger to despair. And Deborah realizes this, and she says, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Deborah was not afraid to step and take action and not let the lies of the enemies stop the plans that God had already put in place. God already knew who was going to win the battle. He just needed the Israelites to trust and have faith in the destiny he had laid for him. The Bible goes on to tell us that at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. Sisera got down from his chariot and then fled on foot. What it means by routed Sisera is that historians actually believe where Sisera had assembled his army was a dried-up riverbed. And during this particular weather season, the no rain had fallen, so it was completely dry. As Barak marched down from Mount Tabor, a dark cloud started to roll in, and a massive rainstorm started to begin to fall. This caused Sisera's massive army to become completely confused, and his new weapons to get stuck in the mud. In verse 16, Deborah's prophecy begins to come true. It states, Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth by Gom, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. All of Sisera's men were killed, and God continued to show his never-ending mercy and his amazing power to the Israelites. So looking back at this battle, what can we learn? My first point is, under God's direction, it will be done. I'm sure as some of you may know, I love to bake. It's just one of those things that I really enjoy, and I'm pretty sure it runs in the family. Cooking, on the other hand, not my strong suit. Something usually ends up on fire, or it's extremely underdone. So I haven't really figured out the middle ground yet, but I'm working on it. But in both cases, both cooking and in baking, when you follow a recipe like you're supposed to, you usually end up with a delicious finished product that everyone likes to enjoy. Life is kind of like that, too. God has already planned out the recipe of our lives. He knows the victories we will win, the people that will contribute to our character, the pitfalls that we will face, and the heartaches and the troubling times that will test our strength. Mixing all of these life experiences up in a big bowl and then placing that in the oven, we can finally see our finished product in the end. And hopefully, it's good. But I use this analogy to say, it is when we are in the heat of our trials that God tests our strength. This is the time that we need to agree in God's word his name, and his nature. 
God has a plan for our lives. Deborah knew this when she gave the charge to Barak. She knew he was weary in faith because of all the tides that were against them. She reassured Barak of their victory and that God had the situation in the palm of his hand. Even today, when we look at problems we are facing and we think, it's too great of a challenge for us. And you're right. It is too great of a challenge for us by ourselves, alone. But with faith that God has already gone ahead of you, it can make the mountains look more like hills. And I don't know about you, but when I'm running, I much prefer a hill over a mountain. And my second point is not to look down upon the tools God has given us. It is so easy a lot of times to compare ourselves to others. In a world of social media or the internet, we can get so caught up in outside appearances. We can get so caught up in other people's talents and abilities that we forget about our own. It would have been really easy for the Israelites to just have forgotten all, everything that they had and just have um, gone, given up and given in. Because Sisera had their battle plans. He had more men than the Israelites did. And let's not forget the 900 chariots that were the new technology of that time. But this didn't stop the Israelites from fulfilling God's purpose. In Psalms 20, verse 7, it states, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our God. So no matter who has the greatest technology, the most power, or the biggest weapon, it still does not compare with the name of our God and his infinite power as creator. In fact, I think that God likes the underdog. Being an underdog means there's no possible way of there to become a comeback. And we know, and I'm sure some of you know, underdogs from either movies or sports or TV shows. But as Christians, what it means to be an underdog is when other people start to ask questions like, how could this be possible? We have to reply with, it wasn't by my will, but his. And during this battle, the Israelites really demonstrated this. So that's where I end. And we're going to go back to our historians, and Miss Julie's going to take it home. Sister ran and ran until he found a tent where a woman named Jael lived. Jael met him outside and said, come in, come on in. I have a nice bed for you to rest on. Don't be scared. He said, good, I'm so tired. Can I have some water too? She said, I'll get you some sour juice. He said, mmm, my favorite. Sisera said, can you shut the door so I can nap? I'm tired. Jael said, sure, and she tucked him in. If anyone comes in looking in the window, tell, tell them I'm not here. Jael said, okay, you got it, he, he. Then we went forwards until suddenly Jael is outside her tent. Barak came and said, hi, have you seen Sisera? Jael said, I'll show you, and Jael opened the weird-looking door. Barak said, Oh, nice! And he high-fived Jael and congratulated on the victory. Congrats! You must be the woman who won the victory. And gives her a trophy. With Sisera now, quote-to-quote, sleeping, God gave his army, and the Israelites were happy. Deborah, Barak, and Jael celebrated. Deborah, Barak even sang out loud, Thank you, Lori. Thank you. All right. Well, yep, that is pretty much how we tell that story in kids' church, because after all, it is pretty much a gruesome tale that would really uh, require a PG-13 rating in real life here. So 
Um, today, I'm going to be talking about how God uses unlikely people. So I'm going to start in verse 17. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Do not be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. Okay, we're going to just kind of dissect this section a little bit. So first of all, we, we know that Sisera fled, and he was headed towards the home of Haber, but where was Haber? Haber wasn't there, apparently. So he runs and encounters Jael outside of her tent. And in verse 18, we see that Jael extends this wonderful invitation for him to enter her tent, and she even offers her, her, him the assurance of safety. She appears to be super friendly, super hospitable. She's giving this uh, shattered, physically spent warrior a place of refuge and a place to rest. So he seems to think, well, okay, Heber's not around. I think I'll just go ahead and rest here in this tent. I mean, after all, who's going to look for the captain of the Canaanite army inside of a Kenite woman's tent? So next, Cicero requests some water which I'm sure after traveling far in the desert, he was pretty thirsty. However, our uh, JL here, who is the hostess with the mostest, goes above and beyond and actually gives him milk, which was actually like a yogurt-type drink that would have been for health and restorative purposes, especially with a man that was in his condition. And then we see that he kind of, you know, she comes and she covers him up. We're not really sure, is, he co is she covering him up to conceal him or is she covering him up just to kind of make him a little bit more comfortable to fall asleep? And next we see in verse 20 that Sisera is instructing Jael to stand by the door of the tent. She agrees to do so. And possibly it seems to be that she is actually paying attention more to him than looking for actual pursuers that might be coming after Sisera. Now for the great plot twist. Jael saw her opportunity, she acted, and she seized it. Verse 21 tells us, But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and he died. Jael's actions were carried out with callous efficiency. Sisera had no idea what was coming. Her movements were so precise and violent that the peg itself went down into the ground on the other side of his head. The Bible really isn't clear as to why Jael decided to murder Sisera. It could be that she didn't quite have the same loyalties that her husband had. Or it could be that she saw that as Sisera had fled, that the, obviously the Israelites were prevailing in this war, and so she kind of wanted to be on the side of the victor. Um, so our friend Sisera here, he met a sudden and swift death at the hands of a woman, which that in and of itself would have been 
a huge disgrace for someone of his mighty stature in the army. So let's read on to verse 22. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. And in that moment, Barak found out that that prophecy that Deborah had shared was fulfilled, and the honor of slaying Sisera would not be his. The chapter ends with verses 23 and 24. On that day, God subdued Jabin king of Canaan before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin king of Canaan until they destroyed him. The one act that that Jael had taken here with murdering Sisera did not end that war. However, it did start a domino effect that would allow the Israelites to gain more and more ground until they were victorious over King Jabin. And what's really cool is in Judges 5, we see that over the period of time, Israel was actually at peace for 40 years. So what is it that we can learn from Jael, an unlikely hero? First of all, we need to realize that God uses unlikely people in a powerful way. Here we see Jael. She wasn't even an Israelite. She was not a believer in God, but a Kenite, and God used her. And if he can use Jael, he can use absolutely anybody. I mean, think about it. um, God used David, who was a shepherd boy, and he became a mighty king. God used Mary, the mother of Jesus, who also was a very unlikely hero. God chooses people to be a conduit for his will, and he will equip us with his power. God sees our potential even when we don't see our potential. And it's really important that we do not disqualify ourselves by going towards, yes, disqualify ourselves from going towards the things that he has called us to, that he's called us to have, or called us to be. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. And God will use us in ways that we have never thought possible. Second thing that JL teaches us is to act on the opportunities that God gives us. JL's actions simply didn't make sense. I mean, first she invites this war refugee into her tent. Then she's extremely hospitable to him. And next thing you know, she gruesomely kills him. But... We know the thing that's important to note here is the fact that she, when the time came, she acted. She ignored the fear, and she also ignored all the what-ifs that might have been playing out in her mind. What we need to realize is that when the Holy Spirit prompts us to act, that we do not take the time to think. Because as a matter of fact, Many times when we take the time to think, we start to rationalize the situation and then we begin to resist obeying God. Opportunities that God provides us are there and a lot of times they have to be quickly taken or else we will not act in obedience. And we need to trust that God will direct us and that he will help us walk that out in faith. I just want to share a quick example of this acting when God tells you to act. Many years ago, we had a little boy named Timmy who was part of our kids' ministry, and his dad's name was Bruce. And Bruce was this bodybuilder dude. Like, he was huge, and he worked out at the gym, and he, I think he did some um, 
you know, where he, he was in competitions and different things like that. But one day, Bruce hurt his back. I mean, like so bad that he literally was hunched over. Here's this bodybuilder who can't even stand up straight. And he was in horrific pain. But Bruce was a faithful believer in Jesus. He came, he kept, even though he was in really bad shape, he kept coming to church because he just really believed that God was going to heal him. Well, he kept coming to church, coming to prayer meetings. Time came, came by, you know, weeks went by, months went by, still no healing for Bruce. So at one point, he actually kind of stopped attending church because he just felt like, what's the use? It's not, you know, I'm not getting healed. He kind of lost, lost hope. But the cool thing was is his son, Timmy, kept coming to church. He was still bringing Timmy to church. And the cool thing was is that Timmy was in kids' church one Sunday when we were teaching about how God heals today. And the cool thing was is that we happened to be sharing about the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry where people were healed instantaneously. Well, after we had that message, Timmy came up to us and he said, my dad can receive a healing. I can pray for him today and he can be healed. And we were like, yes, absolutely. God can heal your dad. What was amazing was, is Timmy ran out of church. He didn't eat his lunch after church. He didn't go play video games after church. He didn't go ride his bike after church. He went home. He said, dad, I have to pray for you right now. And he put his hands on his father's back and he began to pray. And Bruce told us that he began to feel a warmth in his back that he had never felt before. And within seconds, he was able to raise his hands above his head. And the really cool part about this testimony is, of course, he had had x-rays done in his back before the healing took place, and he had x-rays afterwards. And there was his back and his, even the slight degenerative disc disease that he was suffering from was healed in Jesus' name. It was an awesome testimony of someone who acted and God showed up. The third thing we can learn from JL is to use the tools that we've been given. Now, hers was a woman's tent, so she didn't have like a sword laying around or a knife or anything like that, but what she did have was those tent pegs and that hammer that she used to tear down and put up the tent. She didn't waste her time thinking, oh, if I only had a sword, maybe I could make something happen here. No, she took what was at her disposal and she used it for God's glory. And just as Abby shared about the Israelites having the tools that they needed, God has equipped each and every one of us with the tools that we need to do the work that he has put in front of us and that he has called us to. So in closing today, you may find yourself, you may have been suffering from a long time in a very long and tough battle like the Israelites were. Or maybe even this week something has popped up and you're just like, wow, I'm just reeling from this situation that has popped up in my life. But friends, I just want to encourage you to remember that God can speak into your situation just as he did to Deborah. He has a plan and a purpose in your struggle. Position yourself to act on his word and realize that he has equipped you so that his purposes will be fulfilled in your life and in those of lives of those around you.